Let's uh, go ahead and wor- open in a, in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you once again that we are all brought here today together to hear your word. I thank you that, that you have given us your word, that it has nothing to do with our ability and how eloquent we can be. I just thank you that, that your word speaks for itself. And I pray that your word will be brought forth today, that it will be anointed word, that our hearts will be open to your word and to what you want us to get out of it. And I thank you, Lord, also for, for all the mothers here and for all of our mothers. I just thank you, Lord, that you saw fit to give them to us and to help them get through raising us. Just thank you, Lord, for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so this is a continuation from last week. Last week we went over mainly uh, younger children, and there'll be some of that in here, and it all applies to children of any age. But And there was a lot of notes <clears throat> going back through that I realized that I didn't get to, but what I was thinking about this week was the difference between this generation and the last generation and the generation before that. You know, it used to be that when parents got too old to live on their own, they would move in with their children. And then they would be, there'd be three generations in one house, the grandparents, the parents, and the, and the, and the grandchildren. And there would be generational learning. But nowadays, I know there are some cases where advanced care is needed and they have to move into a senior citizen's home, but in most cases it's just a convenience situation. Someone that's too inconvenient for the parents to have their parents living with them, or it's too inconvenient for the grandparents to have to live under uh, their children's roof and take the chance on hearing my house, my rules in reverse. But what's happened is now there is a generational divide. There is a whole group of millennials of, uh, well, I forget, Generation Z or Y, whatever we're on, um, that have not had the experience of learning from their grandparents. And grandparents and parents cannot, the importance of them can't be overstated, but it's constantly understated in today's society. Children have lost respect for their parents. A lot of children don't have any relationship with their grandparents. So where did that come from? Where, you know, if, if we turn to a good turn to Ephesians 6, well, I'm sure the majority, if not everyone in here, has heard this from their parents or uh, told this to their children. So it says in Ephesians 6, 1, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And it says, Honor thy father and thy mother, for this is the first commandment with promise. And, you know, I've heard heard that all my life. But people have stopped respecting and honoring their parents. People have stopped, stopped respecting and honoring their, their grandparents for a, a whole lot of reasons. And I remember my mom talking about, in her generation, children not respecting their fathers. Because it was a... 
generation defined by how you worked. And I remember her saying that her, it upset her that her friends ne- didn't have any respect for their father because they said their father was always working and he was never around. But to her, she saw her dad working so hard, saw her dad doing everything he could to provide for their family, and it hurt her that her friends couldn't see the same thing. But she grew up in an Italian family. And it's tough to tell, but I have a lot of Italian in me. And they are a lot more of a close-knit society. And, in, and that's actually why uh, in Italy it, COVID hit so bad, because there's so many generations living under one roof. But I have a feeling that her dad spoke to her quite a bit. Her dad explained to her what he was doing and why he was doing it. And the other parents just knew that because they were in a generation defined by work, they just had to work. A little while back, I heard a, a speaker, I think it was a secular speaker, he said that fathers in America's society today have no way of winning. He said, you either work really hard, do everything you can to provide for your family, and your wife and kids say, well, they were, he must not have loved me because he was never around. Or... You do everything you can to get out of work, spend all the time with your family, and you're a deadbeat dad. In either of those cases, the father of the family and fatherhood in general loses its status. The leadership of the father loses its status. And the children learn from that. Or the father gets home and says to his wife, what have you got done all day? I've worked all day long and you haven't got anything accomplished. And then motherhood and the mother of that family loses its value because they can see it's not appreciated. But let's go back to, we're still still here in Ephesians 6. And this is a verse that I wasn't really taught on much. Go ahead and read uh, 4. It says, And you fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And now go ahead and turn over to Colossians 3.18. Just to right over to the right a little bit. Same situation, or same uh, portion of verses. Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands, as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. So I was taught at a young age that whenever I got old enough, I had to treat my wife correctly. And my sisters were taught, you have to treat your husband correctly. I was taught over and over and over about many times, because I wasn't the best kid. I was supposed to honor my parents. But I was never taught that they had any responsibility in raising me. I was never taught that it was their responsibility not to provoke their children. So as a child, when I would get into a strained relationship with my dad, I'd either go to my mom or to my brothers and sisters and just say, I can't wait till I'm 18. When I'm 18, I'm an adult, so I don't have to obey my parents anymore. I don't have to honor them. And if it was my mom, she would say, no, if, if you look here, there's no, there's no time. There's no age limit. Once again, that's another 
you know, Western society thing. 18, you don't have to listen to your parents anymore. So I was like, okay, well, I don't want to dishonor him because it says right there, I'll die early. <laughs> that was my motivation. I wasn't acting in a Christian mindset, but I was taught to fear the Word of God. So I was, okay, I'm, all i got to do is when I'm 18, I'll just get as far away as possible. I'll never hear anything they say, so I can't be dishonoring to them, and I can't disobey them because they can't give me any instructions. But that was what my mindset was. I was like, okay, I knew I had a responsibility. I'll just fulfill that, and I'm out. But to me, it just made the Bible seem unfair to me because I didn't know that anything that they were doing was against the Bible. And and I'm not talking about major theology stuff. I'm just talking about how things were approached. So, you know, I think if if they had let me know, and if we let our children know our responsibility in it, it allows them to call us on, on our mistakes. And that's not always, always fun, temperance. Um, and Jedediah came into the shop a couple weeks ago, and we had a job going out the next morning, and I had these skins that, are, that would cover the outside of a cabinet. <clears throat> and they'd only been there for a few minutes. I came out, and there was a hammer that had, someone had hit our product with. And I knew it was one of them. So I called him out there, and Temperance got out there first. I said, who did this? And she said, it was Jedediah. And Jedediah came out, and he goes, oh, Temperance, it was Malachi. So I said, all right, guess what? We have cameras. So I pulled it up. I said, both you guys get up here and watch this. And I said, and, and there's going to be some, there's going to be hell to pay after this. And got through, finally got to the portion of the scripture, and you see Malachi come out of the corner. And stick the hammer down on there. And now Temperance a few days later goes, Hey Dad, or I say, Hey Mom, do you remember when you were wrong about the hammer? So she reminds us. And that was good. It is good because if we didn't have those cameras, one of them would have been punished, or both of them would have been punished for something they didn't do. But we have just as much responsibility in how we raise our children as they do in how they honor us. And if you, you're in, we're in Colossians right now. Turn back to Colossians 1. 1.10. Whenever he's uh, writing these letters, he's giving instructions. In the beginning of this book, he starts the instructions off with that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every work, every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, we can, we can try to separate this here, but you can't. When he's given instructions, he says, okay, here's, here's what you're called to do, and then here's your responsibility in it. It's not just that you get to be a parent, and your kids have to do all this, this, and this. We as parents, we have to walk worthy of what we are called to do. Even, you go, uh, go back over to Ephesians. Once again, two chapters before... This instruction in Ephesians 4.1, it says, Therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, as the prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. 
So if you are called to be a father or a mother, a grandmother, a grandfather, you are also called to walk worthy of the profession, the vocation of which God's called you to do. Just as much as whatever you do in your business, you're called to be honest and walk worthy of what God has. You're supposed to be an example in, in your business. You're also supposed to be an example in your parenting. <clears throat> in, in Exodus, children honor your father and mother isn't the only commandment. It's the fourth commandment in, in the list of ten that tells us all of our other responsibilities. So how does this apply? <clears throat> Excuse me. How does this apply to our older children's salvation? And what we're going to turn, we're going to stay in First Timothy most of the time. We're going to be turning back and forth. But if you can get to First Timothy, in First Timothy four, First Timothy four sixteen. This is. I know last week we were on mainly stories from the Old Testament, but this week we're more just on a on a promise given. This is take heed unto thyself and unto thy doctrine, and continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt save thyself and them that hear thee. Once again, this is just like the promise of training up your child. Is, this, is that better? Okay. Just like the promise of training up your child, it can be both a little sweet and bitter. Because it says that we can save all those that hear us if we take heed to our doctrine and continue in it. So for as long as our children are influenced by us, as long as our children will hear us, they fall under this promise. All of our family, whether it's, it's uh, brothers and sisters in Christ or not, as long as they hear us, they can be saved by, the, by what they hear. And this promise, like every other promise in the Bible, invokes from Christians and non-Christians alike, the are you saying response. You know, I'm sure you've heard, are you saying God's going to heal you? Or are you saying, you know, you raise your kids right, God's going to bring them to heaven? Are you saying this? Are you saying that? No, I'm not saying it. I'm just repeating what the Bible said. I, if I'm saying any of it, you can throw it out. But it's tough because then people come at you with the emotional side. Well, you remember the, the, the so-and-sos? There's a good Christian family. You know, they have a, a daughter or a son... They're not saved. Are you saying they didn't raise them right? Well, they're not dead yet. So no, I'm not saying that. They have a chance to be saved. Or are you saying if they didn't, if they die without receiving salvation, they didn't raise them right? And I'm not saying that. The Bible is. It's a tough thing to say, and it's it. Uh, you can lose a lot of a lot of friends and family because they still take that as us accusing them. And I'm not accusing anyone of anything. If there's another way to say to read this out of the Bible, I'm I'm more than welcome to see it. You know, it's it's uncomfortable to get up here as an uneducated preacher, and I'm sure a lot of other uneducated preachers, maybe even educated preachers like Caleb, but it's uncomfortable to get up here and say, "Here's what the Bible says," and there's no other way to to read it, because there's always this this thought in my mind: Well, what if you miss something? What if you're misapplying this or? What if you're taking something out of context? And I remember, and it stuck with me ever since I've had to preach, Pastor Tom saying that early in his career, his, uh, career, his ministry, 
that he got up and said, Did you know that the Bible says wives have to love their husbands, but it never says husbands have to love their wives. They just have to submit to us. And he said he got down and he was feeling all proud of himself. And someone walked up to him and said, uh, do you, What about this scripture? And that had to be absolutely embarrassing for him. It had to be absolutely embarrassing for whoever came up and, and had to tell him that. But I'm sure I speak for, for Caleb, I'm, I'm I speak for myself. If that ever happens, as embarrassing as it is, please come and tell us. It's not like, you know, if making a mistake in public, running into something that I hope someone doesn't see me trip. If I make a mistake here, I hope everyone notices. It is extremely important that what is spoken here is true. That's tough for me to say, because I already have a fear of public speaking, so you know, don't do it during the sermon unless it's something really, really bad. But you know, I need to know these things because my doctrine has to be true. It says, take heed unto thyself and unto thy doctor thy doctrine and continue in them. For in doing this thou shalt save both thyself and them that hear thee. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the words, so I have to be speaking the word here. Caleb has to be speaking the word here. So it's not just our children hearing us speak that saves them. Otherwise, it would just say, make sure you say hi to your children in the morning. Their salvation depends on it. So let's dig into this. The first, we're going to read through the whole chapter here, starting in 1 to 15. Like every other promise, there's a requirements. So start there in chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, wherein thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise of life now and that of which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of acceptation. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially for those that believe. These things command and teach, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of believers in the world in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity, Till I come and give attendance to the reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by the prophecy, uh, given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Meditate on these things and give thyself to them wholly, that thy profiting may appear to all. So in verse one, there it says, "In latter times," and as I believe we are in the latter times of this world. I think it can be taken, if you look throughout the generations, both in latter times and in your latter times. It seems like every generation has a strong group 
of Christians up through to a certain point in time, and then they start falling off. And then you, you go into these old churches, and there's five people left. And you know, some of our brothers and Christians in Christ that we know in recent years have changed their views on things. Some of them, you know, they're nothing um, that puts them in danger of losing their salvation, but some of them, they are. And it says here, you know, in verse 1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, or specifically, or clearly, that people will depart from the faith. This isn't talking about all this, these movements out here who are trying to change the churches and trying to tell us what to, what to speak on and what to believe. This is talking about people we call brothers and sisters in Christ are going to come in and change, try to change what we believe because they're going to change. They're going to uh, depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits. And the giving heed... Going through the synonyms for it, it can mean just paying attention to or noticing. It doesn't. It's. It doesn't start off. They didn't just go to church on Sunday and then Sunday afternoon. They've changed up all of their stuff. This is just something they started to notice, something that they have allowed into their lives slowly but surely. And this can be our children. You know, our children once they get old enough. I know several of you have old enough children to, to actually have conversations that make sense. But I haven't had to deal with it yet, but I've seen it. People's children come back and say, why do you believe this way? You know, this, why can't you just change this? Why can't you just be this way? It's more comfortable for me. And it's not always... You know, like I said, a lost thing just because your children change church doesn't mean they're going to hell. But sometimes we hear what they're sitting under and it's just, it is shocking. It blows my mind. For me, it's not my children, but some friends that I, I'm like, how did you get there from where you were? I have a friend who, he got saved and was just, seemed like he was on fire. And then just a, a small while later, while he was in his uh, infancy of his Christianity, he became a vegan. No big deal. But then someone came to him and said, I have this video, and it shows that Jesus was a vegan. He never ate meat. And he watched it and was just completely convinced. But now... He doesn't see how someone can be a Christian and eat meat because it's immoral. Jesus didn't do it. And he can prove it by this video. Now, I have a Bible that proves the exact opposite. And he sent me the video. I didn't watch it, but I, I, don't, I don't need to. I can see where that's not true. But instead of judging vegans by how Christian they are, he's judging Christians by how vegan they are. And the Bible... Right here, you know, he, he, I don't believe he was a true convert. I think he sprung up quickly. But it's not just him. It's not just vegans. Vegans are an easy target because it's really like a religion. But 
these people get so blinded by their disinterest in the Word of God. And that's all it is. They find something that excites them, and they run after, oh, veganism. It's a movement. They can feel a part of something, and they want other people to be just as excited, just in that movement with them. But if we do our part, if you look in verse 6 here, it says, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. So, if we don't, the opposite is true. If we're not putting them in remembrance, we're not a good ministry of Jesus Christ. We are not being nourished up. We are not nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine. In verse 7, it says that you're not supposed to listen to profane fables and wise tales. You know, as we're reading this, and we go throughout our lives, we have to keep in mind that last verse. Every single time a new doctrine or a new exciting thing comes along, this is, is this new doctrine worth losing the promise of saving those that hear my words? You know, is loosening up my convictions to make my adult children comfortable worth the promise that I can save them by making them uncomfortable? The Bible doesn't say we won't pay a price. The Bible doesn't say uh, that if you stand on the Word of God and all you have to do is say some words and your children are going to turn around right away. It says that in nowhere. It says in, in Matthew nineteen twenty nine. you don't have to turn there, but it says, Everyone that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my name's sake. So it says, it's clear, you will have to forsake things. But it also says they'll receive a hundredfold in this life and that to come. So in their inherit, inherit eternal life. So anyone that says, I've tried. Anyone who's, who's been in the faith walk for, for any amount of time or witnesses someone has heard someone say, well, I tried that. It didn't work. You know, I tried that and now I can't see my grandchildren. I tried that and now my kids won't speak to me. I tried that and, and my kids have said this or done this. But the I tried argument, if someone was using it not about the Bible, it would seem ignorant. If someone gave, if you gave someone a cookbook and they came back and said, the cookbook you gave me is a lie. I followed the ingredients, I put it in the oven, it came out not edible, doughy. You wouldn't say, yeah, you better throw that cookbook out. That's, that's, that's not true. You would probably say, you probably ought to leave it in a little longer. You know, if, if you remember, you came over to my house and you ate the bread at my table and you said, that was, that was really good. Well, it's the same recipe. The same bread that, that, that you're making, I was making, maybe you just need to leave it in your oven a little, little longer. Different ovens cook, different temperatures, even though they say the same thing. But we don't do that. We let someone, let our emotions for someone come into play whenever someone says, well, that didn't work. Oh, I'm so sorry. I, you know, I'll pray for you. 
It's not, oh, I'm so sorry, I'll pray for you. This is where you have to put someone into remembrance of the Word of God. It's not, putting someone into remembrance isn't always coming up and saying, hey, you're wrong. You, you can't do this this way. Remember, this is the right way. Putting someone in remembrance more often than not is just letting people remember, letting someone know, remember, God is faithful. This Word is still the same. It does work. God is faithful. Stop listening to these fables, these doctrines, these diagnoses. Whatever you have heard that goes against the word of God or that makes you doubt the word of God, if you are allowing that in there, then you are adding something to the recipe. And if it doesn't work at that point, it's not the recipe that's the problem. And it's not even the oven that's the problem. It's the application. So if we continue on um, in verse 8, it says, For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise of life that is now and of that which is to come. This one I can handle pretty easy. Just don't exercise and your children are going to go to heaven. It doesn't really say that. But what it's saying is you will see a result. You'll see a little result. When you exercise, your body will change when you work out. But if you exercise godliness, you see a change in every area of your life. It's not just, oh, I can run farther. This is, godliness is profitable unto all things. It's going to be profitable to your health too, but this this verse is a promise for life now and life to come. This whole portion of uh, this whole chapter here is not just, I know that last one is the one we're, we're studying on today, but every one of these verses almost has some kind of promise to it. If this, then that. This is, in verse 9 it says that this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation. This is a true, worthy saying It's a faithful saying, if you exercise godliness in your life, the promises work. This isn't a a motivational speaker situation where every morning you do self-affirmations of, you know, I am smart, I am pretty, I'm important. Those don't work. And for some people you can see from a distance they don't work. But God's word is full of ifs. God's word does say, if you, if you do this, I will do this. That does not make it a work salvation like I said last week. This isn't a payment for following God's word. It's a reward. It's a reward for obedience. In, in 10, it says, For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially for those that believe. So, this is not a work salvation, but we do have to work. And this says that we're going to be criticized by the people that God saved. It says by both, because he's the savior of all men, and especially for those that believe. And I looked all around through different uh, translations, and I didn't see any that, that said this differently. I don't have a really good grasp on that last portion that last sentence 
especially for those that believe that they changed it back from specially to especially or individually. So it says he's the savior of all men individually for those that believe. So what, the way I understand that is it's there for everyone, but only individually for those that have received Christ or that believe in Christ. But let's, uh, we're going to turn to First Peter real quick. We're going to First Peter 4. Four, we're going to start in uh, ten. It says, for as every uh, for as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do so in the ability which God giveth him, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And on 12, it says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though something strange happened to you, but rejoice insomuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering. When his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. So, here it's goes back, you know, if you read the very first part of that, it goes back to the very beginning where it talks about in the very beginning of the sermon today where we're talking about how we interact with our children. It says that we're supposed to minister to our children and to others as stewards of God's grace. It's tough when speaking to, to older children, but they see themselves as adults. And if we come at them in a patronizing way, it just doesn't work. You know, if, when we come to our children and speak to them in grace, in God's grace, they're more likely to be able to speak in grace back to us. Our children respond the way we interact with them, because that's one of the things they're learning. But it says here that we should rejoice if we are with Christ in suffering. And this goes back to what I said last week about how we respond in trials. When we're in trials, how we respond will either show our children the strength of our face or expose the lack of it. So, in uh, in First Peter 4.19, I actually saw this this morning because I had it written down wrong. This is, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. So when we are suffering for God, we need to let our children know that we are suffering for God. You know, if if we are in our sufferings and our children just think we're suffering because we're in the faith, or when we have made a mistake and we're suffering because God has to chastise us. But our children never know that we are being chastised. 
Our children just assume that this is one of those unfair parts about our walk with Christ. So, if we go to our children and explain our faults to them, if we go to our children and express to them, hey, I've done this. I deserve this. Our children are less likely to blame God when they get older. And if you kept reading there in First um, Peter, it says, don't let anyone despise you for anything worth despising you for. In uh, the next uh, portion here, let's turn back to First uh, Timothy. If you read there in 11 through 13, it says, These things I command and teach, let no man despise you for your youth, but be thou an example of the believers in the world in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity, till I come give attendance to the reading and exhortation to the doctrine. So it says, you know, don't let them despise you for your youth. Don't let them despise you because you're a thief or an adulterer, don't let them despise you for anything worth despising you over. So if we come back to where we started today in Ephesians and Colossians, if we are giving our children a reason to despise us that is legitimate, we are not walking worthy of the calling of of being a parent. If we come and provoke our children uh, against what the Bible says, and then they rebel against us, we can't say, oh, I don't know where this came from. I, I don't know why they're rebellious. Where it came from is we rebelled against God's word and provoked them and they followed suit and rebelled against God's word and didn't honor us. We should be an example. It says there in, um, let's see, where is it? In 12. So we should be an example to the believers in the world, in the word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. So, if in conversation and in the word to our children, we are showing our faith, or in public, our children see us proclaiming our faith, but we're not doing that in private. If we're not doing that at home, that shows an impure life. Our children will follow that. If we preach purity to them, but we have an impure household, our children will follow that. There's uh, at least six sermons there. We're not going to get into all of them. I'm going to be back in the pew where I belong next week. But... Basically, it says, in every aspect of your life, whether you're at home, whether you're speaking to someone, in your spirit, how you're, how you're presenting yourself to someone, who you really are on the inside, the conversation you have, how you show love to someone, how you show your faith, how pure you are in your, in your household, in your doctrine, all of these things... We should be an example to our children. We should be an example to to everyone that we come across 
And if we're not, we're still an example. We're just not a good one. If you continue in 13 there, it says, Till I come, give attendance to the reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by, the pro- by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the presbytery. Meditate on these things and give thyself to them wholly, that thy profiting may appear to all. Now I know Paul is talking to Timothy here, but it says give attendance till I show up. If the word's being read, you should be there to hear it. Give attendance to counsel, give attendance to doctrine. It says that you don't just need to put others in remembrance. It says that if the word's being read, you need to be in a place where you can be put in remembrance. That's why church is so important sitting in our own home when we have no one to speak to about our, about our theology, about our studies, things can go sour real fast. It can be very me-centered theology. But this here in uh, 13 says, give attendance to the reading. Give attendance to exhortation, to counsel. Give attendance to the doctrine. If we are in a place where we can be put in remembrance and there's no one there that's going to put us in remembrance, then this whole promise falls apart. Because we'll be, we'll be led astray, we can be led astray by ourselves. He says, don't forget that you have God-given gifts. Don't forget that God gave you a gift you know it's a true gift because it was given to you by prophecy. You know it's a true gift because it was given, uh, you received it with a laying of uh, hands by the presbytery. If we neglect the gifts that God's given us, then our children will neglect the, gift that God, the gifts that God's given them without the grace of God. I know there is, uh, there is grace in every situation. Thank God for that. But this is, in, this is what it takes for this promise to be true for us, to our children, to our family. Everything in the Bible relies on grace, but this here just says, if this, then that. It's still grace that we receive these things. But at the end there, or the, in 15 there, it says, meditate on these things. And give thyself to uh, thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear. And back in eight, I think it was, it says godliness is profit- profitable in all things, both here and to come. And here it says, when it's profitable, people need to know. You know that's why testimony is so important. If every week somebody is saying, I was suffering, I'm sick, I need prayer, I need this. But no one's ever saying, God healed me, God protected me, God did this, God did this. Then no one sees the prophet. Our children grow up hearing the suffering of the people of Christ. And they don't grow up hearing 
the testimonies of faith, the testimonies that our faith worked. It says, that thy profiting may appear to all. Give yourself to everything in this scripture. Everything that we have read up to this point, or everything that I have written up to this point, as Paul is saying, think about them. Be in them completely. Make sure our children see us profiting. Make sure our brothers and sisters in Christ see us profiting. And I'm not talking about bragging. Excuse me. I'm not talking about bragging and, and saying, here's what I got, here's what I did. I'm talking about showing our children the fruits of our labor. Showing the reward of our labor. In, in my business, if I get to go to price a job out, which Laura does that mostly, so I'm just going to correct that, make sure everyone knows. But if I'm, if, whether it's her or myself, we have to go through and count all the costs. This is how much it's going to cost me to make it with labor. This is how much it's going to cost me to make it with materials. This is what my overhead is. If I want to make anything, I have to add on from there. That would be our profit. But in the Word of God, everything is profit. We were in debt, and He paid our debt, and now He's rewarding us for staying out of debt. That's the, the, the simple truth to it is anything that we have received is a reward on top of a payment already paid. In your temperance of Jedediah, I've already started copying mine and Laura's mannerisms. I need the grace of God. We all need the grace of God at any age that we are an example to our children. At any older age, whenever our children are trying to change us, if we change for them, why would we be surprised when they get into a relationship with someone they shouldn't get into a relationship with? And he said, why would you do that? They're not saved. Well, if you give a little, they give a little. You gave in your relationship with Christ, or I gave in my relationship with Christ, why would they not give in their relationship with whoever this person is? So we have to be an example for our children for this promise to work. And this scripture, there's no... uh, No, well, it's okay if it's a little here, a little there. It's all just do this. If this, then that. If we can be immediate in these things and continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both thyself and them that hear thee. You know, in our older uh, children, that last part is going to be the biggest instruction. In our last days however long our last days are, what we continue in, if you just can imagine 20, 30 years later, your children in the same situation you're in, what example am I setting for them when they're at this stage in, in, <clears throat> in life? Now, I remember years ago, Miss Hamilton described children as the only thing we get to take with us. It's the only thing that God gives us that we can take with us to heaven. 
and that stuck with me. We can take with we can take our children with us if we make that choice to take them with us. I remember, you know, I first started in the beginning of the week before I even started preparing for this sermon. I, this testimony from a military pilot that Isaac had told me years ago, and I talked to Isaac. He couldn't remember the name or the of the book or whatever the name of the pilot or anything, and searching military pilot testimonies online this it's a deep deep hole so i don't think the the exact names and dates i'm pretty sure it's vietnam but i'm not 100% sure is important but the testimony was the guy was tasked with flying a crew out behind enemy lines to supply a rebel group <clears throat> an allied group they knew it was dangerous but they got their crew together, they flew out, landed, and as they started to unload, there was an ambush. And as a military pilot, he was under orders not to leave his seat. And as he was sitting there, hearing screaming in different languages and screaming in English from his crew, he could tell whatever was happening back there, it was going bad. And he heard one of his crew members holler out, there's no hope. We're all going to die. And as a Christian man, he said, no, I, I'm not accepting that. He said, you all can die if you want to. I'm flying home. And he got in the plane, or started the, up his plane and took off, heard screaming, gunfire, and he landed, unbuckled his seat and turned around and all of his crew had, had passed. The plane was riddled with bullets. And after the, de- <clears throat> the debriefing, they came in and they said, well, we know you're lying. You had to get out of your seat. There's nothing left of your seat. It's been completely destroyed with bullets. But he was untouched. Now, if, I, if that was the end of his testimony, I would have stored that away with a thousand others I'd heard just like it. But in this book, he said that he had a major, major regret in the whole thing because he came out completely untouched and he could have taken his crew with him. He said he could have just turned around and said, we're not going to die. We're flying home. It's no different to God to, to save the whole crew or just to save him. But his biggest regret was he said, you can if you want to. I'm, I'm, I'm going to live. And that's how I see this chapter here in, in Timothy we make the choice on whether or not we stay true to our doctrine. We make the choice on whether or not we put ourselves in a place to be in remembrance, whether we put our children in remembrance, whether we put our brothers and sisters in Christ in remembrance. We make the choice every single day whether or not we're saying, you can die if you want to, or no, you're coming with me. And I, I went through this last portion there where it says you can save both them and them that hear thee. I wanted to make sure there wasn't something that could come back and someone could say, well, in this translation, in the translations that I saw, none of them changed the word hear to listen. It didn't say they had to be sitting there intently hanging on every word that you said. Listening to what you said just says they have to hear you. That's it. That is 
an unbelievably promise, uh, uh, powerful promise. As long as our children can hear us, and we are following by, these, by this chapter, they have to be saved. That's what the Bible says. I need prayer just as much as anyone else does. This is reading it, and every time you see it, you're like, oh, wow, I'm, I fall short in that, in that area. I fall short in this area. But I want every one of my children to come with me. So, you know, I don't, uh, I don't think I've, we've done it with any of our children. Maybe when Caleb gets back. I don't think it, there's, a, there's an age. I would really think it'd be great if we could all, as a church, you know, pray for our children individually. Uh, at any age, they can be dedicated to Christ. And, you know, I'd like, you know, I pray that over, over Malachi every night before I put him in bed. But I want all of my children to be dedicated to Christ. I want all of my children to follow his word. And, I'd, and we'll talk to Caleb, or I'll talk to Caleb, and maybe see if, if that's something that we can do. But we can dedicate them by our words and our prayer. But we can keep the promise by our actions. So I'm going to end on that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for for this word. I thank you for not just this promise, but every promise that you have in your word. I thank you that, that even though at times it seems like we don't know what the next step is, your word has step-by-step instructions. Your word has clear, specific instructions. I pray that we will dedicate ourselves to those. I pray that we will dedicate ourselves to the word. We will dedicate ourselves to to raising our children in a way that will glorify you. That they will see you in our actions, both in private and in public. Just pray that you will give us the strength to raise our children. You will give us the strength to raise our children through our example. I thank you, Lord, for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.